Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, where it is our mission to minister enough breadcrumbs to provoke your hunger for the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining. Hello, everyone. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be unto you. I'm here today uh, to post this podcast episode that I actually recorded almost a month ago. Uh, I had the opportunity earlier in the month of November to go to Louisiana and minister at a sectional youth rally there in Louisiana. And while I was there, uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Jonathan Haygood and record a podcast with him. And it was a great time. And um, there were things that we discussed before and after the podcast. And one of the things that we discussed, it was either before or after, but was that every time Brother Haygood begins to talk about prophets in the fivefold ministry, something goes wrong. <laughs> something happens every single time. And uh, so while I was editing our recording, uh, there's a portion he begins to talk about the fivefold ministry. And there's a short time when he's speaking about the fivefold ministry that there's a hum out of nowhere. I can't get it out. <laughs> there's no way to single out that hum to, to silence it. So uh, there will be a hum at some point. It does go away. You can still hear the words over the hum. But it's just funny that he actually, uh, he, he talked to me about that, and he said every time he talks about prophets, something happens, something crazy happens. And uh, in in our case, we were talking about the fivefold ministry, and prophets are part of that, and a hum started. It doesn't last long, but just be warned, it, it will be in the episode just for a short time, and it will go out. But uh, God bless you. I really hope that this blesses you as much as it did me. Brother Haygood is a powerful man of God. He's the real deal. And I really appreciated being able to sit down with him and discuss uh, a topic with him and other various things beyond that topic. So I hope that this blesses you in Jesus' mighty name. I am here with Pastor Jonathan Haygood, and I am so glad to be able to have him today, and uh, so glad for this opportunity to be able to sit down with him uh, in person and do a podcast with him. And uh, Brother Haygood, why don't you just say hello for a moment? And well, it's an honor to be on here, Brother Elders. I appreciate you taking the time and I'm honored that you would even consider me, so I'm thankful to be here. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, uh, truly, thank you for your time. Yes, sir. I know you're very busy. I know you got a lot going on, especially today. 
And uh, so I do appreciate you sitting down and yes, speaking with me. Absolutely. And um, so whenever I talked to you about doing this, we discussed about a topic and immediately what came to me was what is done behind closed doors, how it affects your spirit. And most people, when they think along those lines, are thinking of prayer in your closet and uh, what you do behind closed doors in a positive manner, how it affects you in a positive manner. But for whatever reason, what I felt in my spirit was on the negative side and what you do in closed doors or behind closed doors negatively, how it affects your spirit in a negative manner. And so uh, I just feel to let you kind of follow the Holy Ghost and and let's discuss that along that line. Yes, sir. Well, uh, that's a very interesting question. And um, like I said before we started, that could be a three-hour conversation. But the first thing I think that I would address would be time. Um, God is very concerned about two things. Uh, you will be judged specifically by your finances, how you spend your finances, and how you spend your time. Uh, there are two things that God really looks at specifically. So when we talk about the positive things, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, uh, many people believe that, especially the elders used to teach, there's 24 hours in a day. Uh, you should at least give the tithe of the day to God, you know, two hours and 40 minutes of prayer, fasting, and Bible reading, focusing on Him. Give that all to Him. Uh, most people uh, are strong on early morning prayer being the first thing you do because it's the tithing of the day. It's the first fruits of the day. And so uh, that's the positive side of that time. The negative side of that is God watches how much time you waste and he pays attention to it and he takes good record and he, uh, he will usually talk to you about that when you finally get around to spending time with him. He'll usually... You know, let you know I didn't appreciate the way you spent your time yesterday or last week, whatnot. And uh, that's where conviction comes in. Where it can affect you negatively is that, you know, people have said, I've heard this since I was a little boy, that, you know, idle hands are the devil's workplace. But it also is idle time is the devil's workplace. So the more time you're not focused on Him or the things of God or, or your family, things that are righteous, things that are holy, you give more opportunity for the enemy to plant seeds in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, and um, things like vain imagination come into place. Uh, if you sit in your chair long enough and just sit there and you're not thinking about God, you're just thinking about all the negative things going on in your life, uh, you can severely alter your mood and your spirit and the feeling of the whole household. You know, if you're married, you have a spouse, children, you can affect the entire family with how you've spent your time. And the Bible is very clear on this. Whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Mm -hmm. And so what you spend your time dwelling on matters. And that's also behind closed doors because nobody can read your mind except for God himself. The devil can't read your mind. He can read your body um, you know, actions, whatnot, but he can't read your mind. Um, 
Only God can do that. And so individuals that spend their time poorly, usually it reflects in their life. It'll reflect in their emotional seat. It'll uh, reflect in their relationships with human beings, with other people, other Christians, family members, whatnot. And it'll also reflect in your prayer life. And so there's negative components there. Uh, the longer you just sit and use that time poorly, um, and that's all behind closed doors. I'm not talking about in public. Uh, of course, you know, people also say what you are in private is what you are. Mm-hmm. You know, when nobody's looking, that's your character. So that goes back to your character as well. And I know people that go on vacation. Uh, and when they go on vacation, they throw all of their convictions to the wind mm-hmm. because nobody's there. That 500-mile rule. That's exactly right. You know, <laughs> uh, there are people, and I know this is I'm old school with this, but I, I, uh, my pastor taught us not to go to the movie theaters. Uh, I still don't go won't go. And so uh, I've told people, I've had people say, well, when you go on vacation, do you go see a movie at the theater? I said, no, I wouldn't do that here at home. Why would I do that there? I'm like, well, pastor, do you dress differently? I said, well, I'll put on some, what you would call play clothes, but I don't dress any differently when I'm on vacation than when I'm at home. Uh, like I'm not wearing, and again, this is personal conviction. I'm not trying to tell anybody else they're going to heaven or hell over this. But again, my pastor taught men don't wear shorts. So I still don't wear shorts. I don't wear shorts around the house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's personal. I know that's personal, but I wear pajamas. I, I don't wear shorts. I'm either in a suit or in pajamas. <laughs> those are my two, you know, I'm either at home in pajamas or I'm in a suit. Um, so those are my two worlds. But even on vacation, I'll still wear my long sleeve shirt. And this is not a conversation about holiness. This is just about character. It's about who you are in private, who you are behind closed doors. Just because those thousands of people don't know who I am does not mean that God didn't come with me mm-hmm. on my vacation. It, the Lord goes with you everywhere. And so really, you're never outside of the presence of God. And so I think that is a big part of your character. So I try to be the same person on vacation that I am here in front of the church as a pastor. And I try to be the same person at home with my wife and son as I am sitting here talking with you um, because that's consistency. That goes back to what you do behind closed doors. Inconsistency, time, poor time management, poor character, those things will affect you negatively uh, in a lot of ways. Number one, you could lose influence of people uh, because you, you're what they would call a hypocrite. Well, you're this way only in church, but you're not this way behind closed doors. And so our character, especially in the hour we live in now, is a pretty big deal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially preachers. And I can only speak from a preacher's perspective. Um, we have to be who we are at all times, behind closed doors, in front of everybody, at general conference, at your church at home, pastoring, preaching. You have to be the same. Uh, Jesus Christ was the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible even says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he was the same in private with his apostles as he was with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, mm-hmm. he may have given more insight to the apostles and his friends, but he was not any different. He was not a different man or a different Christ behind those closed doors than he was with uh, the multitudes and the crowds. So a lot of times I think people forget that he is an all-knowing God and an all-seeing God, and they think if they turn the lights down dark enough and if they're in the back part of the house, that what they look at on their phone doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What they're doing on their phone doesn't matter. Uh, 
uh, what they allow their mind to focus on and think on doesn't matter. What they allow into their spirit doesn't matter, but it all matters to God. Everything matters to Him. Uh, you forget forget all of that with people. Uh, my main objective is to be right with God. And I teach our people that. I said, don't try to be right with everybody else. Try to be right with God and then try to be right with everybody else. Because if you're right with God, your relationships will be easier. Mm-hmm. It's usually when you're under conviction, when you're hard to live with. You know, when you're <laughs> not living right, everyone around you becomes an enemy. Yeah. You know, they're always judging you. That's the big buzzword of our generation. Don't judge me. You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be judged. We're going to judge angels, but we can't judge you. <laughs> you know, so uh, people are very interested on, on being judged. And what that really means is um, I don't want you to look at me any differently just because I've made poor decisions. And usually we're not. You know, most times you're not looking at somebody any differently. You may be worried about them. Uh, but they feel that conviction, so they're hard to live with because they're under conviction. So I figure, why live under conviction all the time? Just live right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you love the Lord, the Bible says this very clearly. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the entirety of the 66 books of the Bible can be broken down into two categories, uh, submission and relationship. If you love me, relationship keep my commandments, submission. So the entirety of the scripture is two things. Yeah. Relationship with God and submission. submission. That's it. If you do those things, that's why Jesus broke down the Ten Commandments and said, look, I'm going to give you a new commandment here. I'm just going to do two. Love the Lord thy God with all your mind, heart, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you do those two things, you will not commit murder. Mm-hmm. You will not lie. You won't cheat on your taxes. You won't do this, that, and the other. You won't commit adultery. You won't do this. You won't try to destroy someone's life because you love God, number one, and you love your brother, number two, as yourself. And so the Lord broke that down pretty clearly and made it very simple. And uh, I think people complicate that and say living for God is hard. Living for God is only hard if you do it halfway. Mm-hmm. You know, if you live for God sparingly, then you're going to, it's going to be hard for you. If if you're all in, then it's easy. It's easy to live for God when you're all in. But when you always have a plan B, Mm -hmm. and I tell our people, don't, you need to erase plan B and plan C and just have the plan A. And the plan A is to live for God and go to heaven. If you always have a way out, then your mind will wander. And then you become like a wandering star, the apostle said. And so you have to have a fixed mindset, and that applies behind closed doors. God is watching me at all times, Mm -hmm. at all times. And I'm not even talking about people making mistakes. That's not what I'm referring to. I think you just have to to watch yourself uh, in every area of your life when no one's looking. You know, you put up walls. I I do a lot of, um, I don't want to use the word counseling, but a lot of meetings, we'll put it that way, a lot of meetings. Uh, with people that have made wrecks of their life, and they usually did it when nobody was watching. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did it was they, they felt like, well, maybe I can get away with this, or maybe um, maybe I can take a vacation from living for God. I've heard people say that. I'm just taking a break. And that goes back to your love for Him. There is no break. You know, mm-hmm. this is a marriage. Um, a lot yeah. of people are, they, they are in like with God. They mm-hmm. like him. He's their boyfriend. Mm-hmm. He's not their husband. He's not their king. And so when I was dating my wife, I responded to her very differently before marriage 
as I do now in marriage. Before marriage, she could say, well, I think we ought to do this. And I'm like, well, we're not married. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have to do that. But now that we're married, I do have to do that because she's my wife. And so I respond very differently. Mm -hmm. And so people, I've told our church, I said, many of you, you like Jesus, but you're not in love with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he's your buddy. You know, I am a friend of God. That's a very popular song. And I think that's fantastic. Um, And it's true. I don't think that's wrong. But there are seven levels of relationship. And uh, one of the highest levels of relationship is husband and wife. That is the tops. You know, you've got father, son, then you've got brother to brother, then you've got friend and all this other. So you've got all these different levels of relationship. Well, I, I want to be a part of the bride. And I, I know that I am a man. Uh, and I've explained to people, I've heard very, I, I pastor some really strong men that are like, I'm a man, I'm not a bride, I'm not a girl. And so you have to look at the scripture and understand that you are a son of God when you're in prayer alone. Mm-hmm. You pray as a son of God. When you pray with the body, you're the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the bride is feminine, even though you're not. Yeah. But you're in a feminine role to him because he's more masculine than you are. But in <laughs> in personal relationship, it's father son. Yeah. Nobody's a bigger man than nobody's a bigger man than Jesus. <laughs> Nobody beats him. He's never lost. You know, he's batting a thousand. He's yeah. never lost. He's never struck out. And I'm not trying to use sports metaphors here, but for all those that watch sports, uh, he doesn't lose. Um, he's never. He doesn't know what it's like to fail. You know, I remember my old pastor, Brother Barnes, uh, went through a rough time in his relationship with the Lord, a dark time. He had a nervous breakdown at 50 years old. And he said, boy, I went to Jesus and I told him, he said, uh, I know things you don't know. And I looked at Brother Barnes and I said, hold on. (laughs) What do you mean you know things that Jesus doesn't know? And he said, well, I told him, boy, he said, I know what it's like to fail. You don't. I know what it's like to be a sinner. You don't. I know what it's like to let somebody down. You don't. Mm. I know what it's like to not pray. You don't. I know what it's like to be in in a bad shape and and be down and out. And you don't. You don't know what that's like. That's very true. And he said, I know things you don't know. That's very true. He said, you've never failed anybody. He said, you couldn't fail anybody. If you tried to fail, you can't fail because you are God and you are perfect. And he said, so I just spent the whole day telling Jesus, I know things you don't know. And he said, and he didn't kill me. He came to me and said, I know, I understand that. But now let me tell you the things that I know. And it changed his whole relationship. He was able to take that next step and it changed his whole walk with God. But he said, sometimes you have to be honest with Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is not, um, you know, he doesn't get his feelings hurt. People think that he does. He doesn't get his feelings hurt. He's, uh, I don't want to use, I think it's derogatory to use the word big boy, but he's, like you said, he's a big man. Mm-hmm. He's God. Nobody, you're not going to surprise him. It's in your heart anyway. Yeah. You know, so even when I go to prayer, I've gone to prayer and I said, now, Lord, um, this is on you. If this doesn't happen, it's your reputation, not mine. I said, so you said to do this. So that's on you. The whole world will mock you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to mock me. They're going to mock you. And you surely wouldn't let that happen. You mm-hmm. wouldn't let your little boy become embarrassed, would you? Because you're a good daddy. Because you told me you were a good daddy. And he said, even a good father knows how to give good gifts to his son. Mm-hmm. I said, so because you're a good daddy, you're not going to let me get embarrassed. You're not going to let us go down. Because that goes against your character. 
And I said, so you're going to take care of this. I'm not going to spend all day here in prayer about it. I'm just going to rejoice with you and praise you and worship you. I'm going to spend my time worshiping you for the miracle. And the miracle would usually take place the next day or within a few hours. Hmm. So God's all about faith. You know, it's impossible to please him without faith. And faith is, is not just believing that it's done. It's uh, believing that it's already done. It's more than just believing it's going to happen. In the mind of God, it's already done. Mm-hmm. And so you have to uh, approach him that way. And I, now I don't recommend you fussing at God all the time. Um, <laughs> I know people that do that. And like, it's probably not wise to do that all the time. Uh, I have had the Lord tell me to shut up before um, a couple of times. And I did. Yeah. You know, I did. I didn't continue the conversation. I let him talk. He <laughs> said, you've done your talking. Now shut up and I'm going to talk to you for a little bit. And I just listened. And uh, I remember I was uh, 19, 18 years old, maybe maybe 19. And Brother Kilgore had asked me to go pray for uh, a young man. I say young man. He was older than me. He's probably in his 30s. And he was dying. And so I went and I had been listening to all these J.T. Pugh tapes, Billy Cole tapes, T.W. Barn tapes, Verbal Bean. I was listening to all of it. So I was like, man of faith. That boy is getting out of that hospital. He's going to come right out of that bed as soon as I pray for him. And I walked in there and his parents were there and they were not of our persuasion. And so I laid hands on him and prayed and nothing happened. I laid over him and I prayed and nothing happened. And um, I prayed for the family, and they wept, they cried, we all cried together. I came back several times to pray for him. Well, the boy ended up dying, and he didn't have the Holy Ghost, and he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. And so I went to the church, and I locked myself in the church, and I started yelling at God. I said, you told me you were a God of mercy. You said you were a God of mercy and a God of grace. And I said, you just let that boy go to hell. You couldn't have raised him up so I could baptize him, pray him through to the Holy Ghost. And I just kept on. I said, why even send me there if you were going to take his life anyway? Why waste my time? And now my faith is drained. And I said, you're not who you said you were. And that's when he said, shut up. And I shut up and he said, now it's my turn to talk. He said, I have sent preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher to that boy. I sent saints of God to his house. I sent him at the supermarket. I sent him on his job. He cursed him. He rejected him. He rejected me. He said, what makes you think I told you to go to that place to pray for that boy? I didn't send you there for that boy. He was hell bound to begin with. He was already gone. I said, well, who did you send me there for? He said, I sent you for his parents. Mm-hmm had nothing to do with the boy. I'm using the situation to get to them because they actually want me. Mm. He didn't want me. And he said, now, do you want to apologize to your father for talking to me that way? And by this time, I'm on the floor. I'm weeping, and I'm like, please forgive me. He says, you lack understanding. You need to pray for understanding. And he said, I didn't send you there for that boy. And then my mind went back. It was the parents that were open. It was the parents that were embracing me and saying, I want a Bible study. And they came to church and got their Bible study and had nothing to do with the child. So, you know, a lot of times the Lord will send you into a situation. I don't know how we got here, but the Lord will send you into a situation and you can misunderstand or uh, misconceive the situation. And you believe that you're there for this particular purpose and you're not. You've missed the big picture. You know, so the Bible says then all of your getting of wisdom, get understanding. And the first thing people say in a tragedy is what? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. 
well, I just don't understand why this would happen. Why would God allow this to happen? I don't understand. So if you get that understanding, the tragedy becomes a part of the narrative. And it's not that you don't grieve. It's not that you're not sad. It's that you understand. And understanding brings peace. Mm -hmm. There is no peace without understanding. And so as long as you have no understanding in your life, you're not going to have peace. But if you understand the ways of God and understand, okay, there's a purpose for what's happening right here. And I've done everything that I can do. I'm only a man. I can go only as far as God will allow me to go. And people make their own decisions, you know. And it, that's what I pray for. I pray for wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discretion, counsel, might, the fear of the Lord, the seven spirits of God that are listed in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. I pray that constantly because I want the wisdom of God. I want the knowledge of God, but I want understanding and discretion because without understanding, you're going to walk around in life frustrated all the time and full of chaos. And so... When I started learning that, the more understanding the Lord allowed me to operate in, the more peaceful my life became. Mm. And I still grieve. I still weep over people that pass away. I still weep over people that backslide. But I don't go to God and say, I don't understand. Not as often as I used to. Mm. Now, you know, there's sometimes I still, and then I catch myself saying it, and then I go, Okay, Lord, open my understanding. The Bible says that he opened the understanding of the apostles and he breathed on them and opened their understanding to the scriptures. So they didn't know the scriptures till he opened their understanding. So understanding is a very big, I don't know how we got here, yeah. but understanding is a very big part of walking with God. Yeah. And it will actually bring a tremendous amount of peace into someone's life if they can ever figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back to being behind closed doors. Uh, if you understand that your time matters, if you understand that what you do matters, if you understand that your uh, your walk with God is extremely important, probably more so in private than it is in public. You know, Jesus even said when you're fasting, don't let everybody know that you're fasting. Do it in private. Wash your face. Anoint your head. Don't appear to be fasting. Do it in private. He said when you pray, don't be like the publican that's talking about, I'm so glad I'm not like this man over here. Yeah. He's making this all very clear. He said, I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. The Bible says he resisteth the proud, but mm -hmm. he gives grace to the humble and to the lowly. And so uh, God resists proud people. And if they only live for God in public, that's a form of pride. Because then you're not living for God for him. You're living for God for the people around you. Mm, that's good. So that they can perceive that you're something that you're not. Mm -hmm. Because again, I go back to the original statement. What you are in private is what you are. What you really are. That's who you really are. Yeah. And so, you know, the greatest compliment somebody can give you in death or somebody can give you at an anniversary or a birthday is to say, this man or woman is the same behind closed doors. I know their life. When you hear them say, well, I know their life. I'm with them all the time. They are not any different here than mm -hmm. they are there. To me, that is probably the, one of the highest compliments you can receive as a Christian, that I am who I am, regardless of who I'm with or where I'm at, or who's around me, what city I'm in, what country I'm in. God is the same, and I want to be just like Him. Mm -hmm. And if He doesn't change, I don't want to change either. I want to be just like my father. Yeah. And every boy wants to be like their daddy. Yeah. And every girl wants to be adored by their daddy. So, anyway, that's, that's where, I think that's almost a lost art. 
you know, I really do. I think uh, a lot of young people today struggle with that because they can put on a good face at church, school, you know, around family members, friends, but then they get behind closed doors and they're depressed and they're sad. Um, and I think individuals that struggle with those things, you know, they, number one, they need help. That's number one. They need help. Number two, they have to learn to cry out to God in those moments and to not allow the things of life, the cares of life, frustrations, all of that to dictate to them who they're going to be when nobody's watching. Yeah. You know, that's a very complex way of saying that because it's not always that simple. Life is not simple. Life is complex. And people's problems are real. And, you know, our kids nowadays, when I was a kid, I'm 45 years old. When I was a kid, um, you, you couldn't just, you didn't have access to all the sin at the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. Like you had to go somewhere yeah. and do something. Physically you had, buy you had it. To physically or, go do something. Yeah. You had to get out of the house. Then you had to have money. You know, then you had to have transportation. Yeah. And, uh, I and, was and really sneak it. Yes, sir. You had to be sneaky. <laughs> and now they have all of the world is at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. You know, they can buy whatever they want on the Internet and nobody will check them on it. Yeah. You know, they can look at whatever they want. They can talk to whoever they want. You can talk to people overseas, people that don't even know who you are. And you're giving them pertinent information. When I was seven years old, I had I didn't have a pen pal in China that I could get on my phone and pull up Facebook and have entire conversations or whatever the new apps are. Uh, I know there's TikTok, all this other Instagram. Uh, I'm not up to date on everything. My wife is, but I'm not up to date on everything. I am an old man. I've been an old man since I was about 18. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to be hip, but I'm not hip at all. But there's, there's ways to communicate. Uh, they have apps now where uh, I found this out over the last six, eight months. There are apps now that you can put on your phone that your spouse or your parent cannot find because it responds to your face ID. So as long as it sees your face, that app is available. But as soon as someone else has the phone, if your spouse, your child, or if your parent or a pastor has your phone and they pull up, that app will disappear. It's a phantom app. Wow. And people will use that uh, for all of their devious acts. Wow. Because they can't be checked. Nobody can find the app because it's only to their face. And as soon as they download the app, they take a picture of their face and it does the face ID like it does on all the other apps. Mm-hmm. And you can open that app, but only your face will open it. So that's scary. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that as a kid. I doubt you had that as a kid. No. I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I was born in the 70s, you know. And by the way, for those that are young, the 70s was a really, really long time ago. <laughs> you know, So uh, we didn't have any of that technology. I was raised in the 80s. Um, we, did, we had our bicycles, mm-hmm. you know, we had, um, what were those Game Boys? I remember when Game Boy came out, but I was already like 12 years old when Game Boy came out. We had Nintendo. Thank God for Nintendo. Um, but that, that got boring. You know, mom kicked us out of the house. Mom was raised, <laughs> uh, she was born in 1946. So I had an older parents and mom was like, you're not going to sit in this house. She'd kick us out of the house. Those were back in the day when you, uh, you came home when the streetlights came on. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have cell phones. 
Nobody had cell phones yeah. in the 80s. Didn't exist except for the really, 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 really wealthy people that had the big old bag yeah. phones. <laughs> and those were like military grade. And then in the 90s, that became more common. But even then, it didn't work as well. It was scratchy. You couldn't hear anything. And I didn't have one. My mom didn't have one. So we had pagers. You know, we all thought we were doctors or drug dealers. We had those <laughs> little pagers. And if mom would page us 911, then we had to go find what we call a payphone. These kids don't know what a payphone is. I had to have quarters on me at all time, or I'd have to call collect. There are no more payphones. But I was raised in that era of time, so I go back to the fact of, of being accessible. Sin was not as accessible back then. Um, America was a different place as well, you know. Um, it was a safer place. It was still crazy, but it was a safer place. Neighbors watched after people's kids, even uh, restaurant owners, uh, store owners, they were way more careful with, with young kids uh, than they are today. Now, nobody's safe. Mm-hmm. It's just a totally different world. Um, I did a lot of sleepovers as a kid, but I'm not letting my son do a lot of sleepovers. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. I know too much. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, unless I know the people really well. And my wife and I have been praying since Levi was born that we would know his future wife if the Lord tarries his coming from her birth just to make sure she was born a woman because now they have technology to make them look uh, as if they were a woman all along, but they were born a man, but you can hardly tell without the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And you'll have to have discerning of spirits to pick it up. So I want to know a birth certificate. I want to be there when they're born. I want to know who they are. My wife and I have already prayed that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hope Levi doesn't get too amped up about that when he gets older, but we're going to make sure he don't marry anybody that we haven't known all her life. Yeah. You know, I say that. He'll probably have his own mind. He'll have something else to say. But that's my prayer anyway. Uh, by the time he gets married, I'll be 56 when he graduates high school. So either he's going to keep me young or I'll get me up there quicker. But uh, anyway, so the, going back to behind closed doors, you know, kids nowadays, uh, too much accessibility, too much. Uh, I'm. I'm of the persuasion, and I don't think I'm the authority on this fig- on this situation, but I don't think a kid should have a cell phone uh, until they're much older. I agree. And if they do have a cell phone, it needs to have all kinds of blocks and all that, and then they don't have it alone in their room at night before bed. Mm-hmm. It needs to be put in a drawer at mom and dad's house, uh, in room, you know, by their bedside uh, when it's night, night time. Yeah. I don't think they should have it alone uh, with I've, unfettered access. I've said our children won't have cell phones until they're driving. Yeah. And it will be a flip phone and then we will keep it at night. Yeah, there won't yep. be a it won't be a smartphone. No. Yeah. You only need this when you're out and about. That's exactly right. You know, I we didn't have GPS. I had to pull out a map when I was evangelizing because I evangelized for ten years. I got lost all the time. Who can read those maps? You know, <laughs> only my wife. When I got married, I never got lost again. She always knew where we were. And she used to tell me, she goes, You know, you give people direction for a living. How in the world are you always lost? Like, that's your thing. God anointed you to give direction to people, but you're lost all the time. I said, that's why he gave me you. You know, keep me balanced because she's in my life. I don't get lost anymore. Uh, but now we have GPS. I can put that in my truck and tells me where to go. We didn't have any of that. We didn't have any of that as a kid. So uh, I think it's harder in this era of time. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. And the enemy goes after them young, mm-hmm. younger, way younger than they did in my generation. I mean, I I know kids that are strung out on pornography and they're only eight years old. Mm -hmm. You know, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, so that's a very uncomfortable subject. But it is a 
you know, what, multi-billion, almost a trillion dollar industry yeah. for a reason. And it's, and it's very, a very real spiritual epidemic. It is. It is an epidemic. It's, it's terrible. And you've got kids that are now active, you know, by the time they're 10, 11, 12 years old. And I'm having to sit with parents and like, how did this happen? And I'm like, well, you know, we have to be extra careful. So again, it's a different era of time. And so even parents raising children, I don't know how we got on parents and all this, but uh, parents need to understand they need to be the same at home as they are at church because mm-hmm. their kids need to see them consistently. Yeah. You know, I don't want Levi to grow up and say, well, daddy was different at home than he was in the pulpit. Yeah. Because if that happens, then I failed miserably as his father mm-hmm. and as a man of God. And so I hold myself to that standard. That's not easy to do either. Yeah. Because, you know, not every day is, uh, what's that book that Joel Osteen came out, Every Day's a Friday? Well, guess what? Every, every day's not a Friday for Brother Haygood. Sometimes it's Monday. and it's, Sometimes uh, it's a week of Mondays. It's, a, it's just it's a season of Mondays, actually. And it's just like, what's happening? Why am I tired all the time? Why is this all, you know, why can't people live for God? Um, you know, but Brother Stone King told me, he said, you have job security, boy, as long as you're a pastor or an evangelist, because there will always be people getting it wrong. So you have job security. And he said, if they all got it right, you'd be out of a job, boy. He said, so thank God for those that can't live right. <laughs> and so that helped me along. He called me and I said, thank you, Papa Lee. He goes, well, that's my job, boy, just to keep you keep your head up. <laughs> You'll be fine. And he said, you know, Jesus had a backslider on his own church board. Oh, yeah. He said he couldn't get uh, Judas to repent. You know, he still betrayed him. And he said, so if Jesus couldn't keep them all saved, who do you think you are? Yeah. So that helped me a lot because then I'm not Jesus. You know? <laughs> There's only one God, and I know I'm not him. And I don't want his job either. I think he's doing fantastic by himself. He's doing just right. <laughs> so a lot of people want to help God out. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have the Abraham spirit, you know. Yeah. You're taking too long. My boy's not here, so let me go over here and get married to another woman and mess up the entire thing. And now you have the problem in the Middle East. Yeah. So uh, one man's decision we're all reaping that right now, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of years later. And we see all that. And I, we're getting into some stuff here with Israel and Hamas. And that all came back because Abraham got, you know, he wanted to help God out. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you help God out. You produce an Ishmael. Yeah. So it's best to just wait till Isaac gets here. Mm-hmm. So, but it's important. What you do behind closed doors is extremely important. And, it will either destroy you or it'll make you. I think it's that powerful. Mm-hmm. And those are the two extremes and there is no in-between. Yeah. I don't think there is an in-between. I think it destroys you or it makes you who you are. And um, that's the challenge. That really, you know, that's a very good question because it, it really is the challenge because I uh, pastor quite a few people in, in different places and connected to a lot of churches. And that's probably the number one complaint. You know, they do good at church. They just don't do good at home. You know, and I've I've been very burdened for our families over the last couple of years. And I've told our people I have a very heavy burden for our families because the enemy wants to destroy the home. You know, that was the very before God created the church, before he released his spirit and the Holy Ghost, before he had prophets, before he had apostles, before he had kings. He had a family. First thing he instituted was a, a husband and a wife. Mm-hmm. That's the very first thing God did after he created the heavens and the earth. As he formed a man and then gave him a wife. First thing he did. 
was the family unit. So I think we have to pay attention to that and realize that that is probably the most important thing to God. Because it's what he did first. It's the law of first mention. Yeah. First thing he ever created was a family. Mm-hmm. Which lets you know that he's all about family. Yeah. You know. And no wonder why the devil is trying everything to tear it completely apart. Oh, yes, sir. Especially going after the father. Mm-hmm. You know, statistics say, and I know this varies from year to year, and depending on the study that you uh, read after and the authority you read after, but statistically, if a father is uh, in the home, he's in the home, statistically, the kids will be in church or be involved with church up to 89% of the time. But if the father is out of the home and it's only the mother, it goes down to 19%. Hmm. It's the difference of a father. Yeah. But if the mother is not involved and she leaves the home and the father's the one raising the kids and he takes them to church, it's 89% of the time they'll live for God. Wow. And so and, that's a, it's a, and that, that a brings a whole nother area of why the devil really attacks the men yes. in their spirituality. It does. It's a lot easier to get women in, uh, I guess, to remain faithful spiritually, to be involved spiritually, to right. pray. It's yeah. a lot easier to praise. Yeah. But men, a lot of times, is a struggle yeah. to get them involved, to, to have men of prayer, right. men of praise. Absolutely. And all of that is the will of God. We must be men of prayer, men of praise, and strong men spiritually. Yes, sir. But it is it's like pulling teeth to try to get men in well, that state. Statistically, in the church, and this is across the board, this is not Pentecostal only, this is Baptist, Methodist, uh, even Catholic, uh, Protestant, all of it. Most of your prayer warriors, statistically, are women. Mm. They're not men. To the churches that have figured out how important that is for men to be involved, those churches are actually stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of people out of order because the, the man's not living right, but the wife is. So now she's in a quandary. My husband's not living right, but I'm submitted to my husband. Mm-hmm. And so men put their wives in a very precarious situation that they should have never been in yeah, because they're not being a man. And the true nature of a man is not just to have a job. I think that's a pretty big deal. If you don't have a job, you're not a man. I don't care how much you can bench press here, (laughs) that none of that matters. You know, the measure of a man is not built on how tall or how broad his shoulders are. Or, uh, you know, it's built on how he treats his family, takes care of his family, and how he lives for God. I think that, to me, is the measure of a man. Yeah. Um, Stature has nothing to do with that. So... Men are fought extra hard because their whole concept, you know, men are, I want to be my own man. No man's going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, no pastor's going to tell me what to do. I'll answer to God by himself. Well, God's not going to really talk to you much without a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's proof of this. When Jesus stood on trial um, with Pilate, he answered all of Pilate's questions. Pilate asked him all these questions. He answered all of them. Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod never, he asked him all these questions, and Jesus wouldn't even open his mouth. But just a few months prior, Herod had cut off the head of John the Baptist. 
-hmm. you cut off the head of the preacher. And when you cut off the head of the preacher in your life, God won't talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. So he answered all of Pilate's questions, but he refused to answer Herod. He said, I have nothing to do with you. You already killed the man I sent to be your your voice. Yeah. You know, so when you kill the voice of God in your life, God won't talk to you anymore. That's it. Another voice will take over and you will think it's God. Mm -hmm. And he'll choose your delusion. Wow. So this is where people say, well, I don't need a pastor. I don't need church. What voice told them that? Yeah. You know, what voice is telling them to violate the word of God? You can't even be saved without a preacher. Correct. According to the scripture. Yeah. You know, and if you have to have fivefold ministry in order to develop the saints. So if you don't have fivefold ministry, so to all of the pastors that don't have fivefold ministry, you can't even fully develop the saints. Correct. That's why you're dying before your time. And that's why you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. You're doing everything by yourself, but you're only 20% of ministry. Yeah. It takes all five to be a hundred percent. Yeah. And that they carry 20% of the load. So you're carrying a hundred percent of the load on shoulders. that can only bear 20. 20. So that's why you look like you're 105 when you're 60 Mm -hmm. and you're wiped out. You're wiped out because you did it by yourself. Yeah. So the church is not even edified. Mm -hmm. And that's not on the church. That's on the pastor. Yeah. That's not a popular subject, but it's still right. Yeah. Something happens when you hit 40, you just start saying things, <laughs> things that you've held in quiet for 20 years. You're like, you know what? I think I'm going to say something now. You know, so a lot of pastors had called me that are tired, exhausted, going through rough times. I'm like, well, do you do you have any help? Do you bring anybody in? Oh, no, that's my responsibility. Well, that's not true. Correct. That's not true. Your responsibility to be the shepherd of those people. But you need somebody else that operates in a different office to come in and deal with something and help help you with those people. Mm-hmm. Those offices come alongside that pastor to be a blessing, not to be a curse. I don't know how we got on this either. Then we're we're just all over the place. It's kind of like right. a shotgun that's just hitting everything. <laughs> and so how did how did we get there? I'm trying to remember how we got there. I can't really remember. Yeah, I can't either. I don't remember what we started. That, that kind of tends to happen whenever you're just following that. You know, yeah. It gets all over the get place. Get in the flow there and it gets all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, man, I'm going to have to get away from that subject. Men. Go back to we men. We started Let's talking about men. Let's go back to men. Because that, <laughs> and the reason I say that as pastors, they don't want anybody over them. That's why when a man of God, his pastor dies, they don't want to replace it with another pastor. Mm-hmm. Because now they're autonomous. Yeah. And which I do not believe in autonomous churches. I don't either. Brother Tenney said, if there's a man of God that doesn't have a pastor, run. Mm-hmm. He said, tell the church to run. I've told our church, if I don't have a pastor, my pastor is Mark Morgan. That man of God has come in. I just watched him come in in a situation and in front of the whole church. He said, I told your pastor to go sit right there in his seat. I'll take it from here. I got it. Which is true apostolic authority. Oh, yeah. And he's the bishop of the church. And the church watched it, and you know what I did? I went over there like a schoolboy, and I sat down because Daddy told me to. And I did exactly what he told me to do, because how in the world can I expect the people of God to follow me in a place of authority if I won't follow somebody who's in a place of authority in my life? Correct. That means there's checks and balances, mm-hmm. that I'm not the final authority. There's someone over me that can correct me, that can override me. Mm-hmm. I put the church on a fast like 10 years ago. I'm like, we're fasting until this breaks. Brother Morgan came in and I told him about it. And he said, you're going to break that fast right now. So I got in the pulpit. I said, Bishop said we're breaking the fast. And everybody started shouting. They loved him. They were mad at me for the fast. But Bishop came in. Grandpa came in. He's like, Grandpa. He came in. He said, oh, those those little darlings aren't going to fast. You need to go ahead and eat. 
So they all went and ate, and boy, did they eat too. And I did too, by the way. I didn't. I went ahead and. Well, Bishop said, I heard let's myself, do it. <laughs> Bishop said, to eat. So we're gonna. I'm. You know, it's better to obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. sacrifice. You know, I'm. I'm not Saul. I want to be David. So yeah. I'm gonna listen to the man of God. If he tells me to do something, that's what I'm gonna do. Obviously. According to the word of God, obviously, but I'm going to listen and be obedient. But that's where men, you know, men want to, um, they have a hard time with that. And the Bible says that a man is to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Because uh, it's there's a nature, it's in men's nature to have tempers. Now, not everybody is the same way. You've got, you know, different personalities. You've got choleric or choleric, depending on how you want to say that. Saying when you've got melancholy, you've got um, phlegmatic. And phlegmatics don't usually get upset. It takes them about 30 years to get upset. And when they get upset, everything blows up. But it took them 30 years to get there. Cholerics are upset all the time. There's just never a moment they're not upset. They just keep it in check. But yeah. they're always, it's right there. The trigger's there. And it, it's like the fuse is all the way right here, and it's just been burning. It's, and it's just burning it's just... right there. So don't, don't mess with them. And same ones, they don't usually get mad. They just want to have fun, and nothing gets done. But they're fun to be with. They're exciting <laughs> creatures. Um, my wife is a same one. That's why I married her. You know, I didn't laugh until I got married to her. You know, I was so serious. And uh, Brother Kilgore, I won't go into the details here, but I was at a black IP uh, restaurant. And uh, I miss those restaurants in Houston. That was good stuff. And I was eating with a friend of mine, and Brother Kilgore happened to be there. And he came over, and he got real mischievous. I saw it come on him. I said, oh, man, he's about to embarrass me. And um, <laughs> he said he slapped me on the face gently, you know, very gentle like a father would. And he said, you, you need a carnal woman. You're too spiritual. I said, what does that mean? He said, you need what I need. He said, I'm as carnal. She keeps me grounded. I said, now she prays and all, but she's carnal. She keeps me grounded. That's what you need. So I don't know if that makes my wife carnal or not. I don't know <laughs> if I obeyed the man of God, but he was letting me know you float in the clouds too much. You need a good woman that'll ground you that's spiritual, but she's not mystical. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got, you know, and uh, we called her Annie Ima. That was Sister Kilgore. But she was that way, you know, she had a way of keeping him balanced. And Papa K was a very extreme personality. And I am the same way. I'm a lot like that. My daddy was that way. Uh, I thought laughing was uh, carnal. Hmm. I didn't laugh, you know. Uh, maybe I was listening to too much verbal being. He, didn't, he <laughs> felt a lot of the same way. <laughs> uh, although he was a trickster, most people don't know that. He was quite the, the prankster and trickster. But that was, he would always go repent, you know, after he, <laughs> after he laughed real hard. But... Um, when I got to meeting my wife, that's how my grandmother, my grandmother told me, said, that's your wife. I said, how do you know? She said, because I've never seen you smile like that. Mm-hmm. That's her. That's the one. And she was right. She was right. So uh, men have a, a tendency, you know, propensity towards uh, anger. It's just part of them. Uh, now, some more than others. Obviously, no man is the same depending on personality, depending on upbringing, traumas, whatnot, that all that all factors in. So you can't just make that a blanket statement. But it never tells a woman to lift her hands without wrath or doubting. Mm-hmm. So men have a propensity to doubt what's right in front of them and to be skeptical. And they have a propensity to have anger problems. Mm-hmm. So Jesus said, I want you to have no doubt in your heart and no anger, mm-hmm. no wrath, and lift up your hands. So... There's something powerful happens in a service when men begin to lift their hands and there's no doubt in their heart and mm-hmm. there's no wrath in their heart. 
the whole spirit realm will change. Yeah. Because it's a it's a command. Lift up. Men should lift. It's a command. Yeah. So as soon as they do it, there's obedience. And then the angels show up and God manifests and things start breaking because men have. Uh, and I said this before we started the podcast. You know, we're both made in the image of God. Men and women both are made in the image of God, male and female. But man was created first, so that means first in, as far as authority is concerned. And I don't want that to be misunderstood or misconstrued because women absolutely have spiritual authority. I believe in that. I believe in women preachers. I believe in all of that. So uh, I don't want to be misunderstood. But in my studies, I have found, um, you know, I've seen churches, powerful, powerful churches where the pastor died, but the pastor's wife was still alive and spirits started running amok in the church. And the only thing that happened was the pastor died. Hmm. But I've seen churches where the pastor's wife died and the pastor was alive and the spirits didn't run amok. And I asked the Lord, what's the difference here? What's going on? He said, well, number one, I've given authority to both my sons and my daughters. I've given authority to both, but it is a different kind of authority. And so when a man lifts his hands uh, without wrath or doubting, he is exercising spiritual authority as his rightful place as a man, hmm. not a dictator, not a Neanderthal, mm -hmm. a gentle man. Um, and the word gentleman, we always talk about this person's a gentleman. What that really means in its original language, its original uh, in the dictionary, it means that that individual, that man has the unique ability to make everyone in the room around him feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. So to be a gentleman just means that you're gentle with people and you make them feel welcome, you make them feel calm, and you make them feel safe. So men's responsibility is to make people around them feel safe. Mm -hmm. That's you know, good. Most times, most times, not always, because you, you've got demon-possessed people and crazy people. Most times, if somebody is going to rob a woman, they will probably be a little less inclined if their husband, brother, somebody, uncle is with them. Mm -hmm. If they see a male there, they have to factor in their mind, I'm going to have to take him down first, which gives her the opportunity to run for help and I could lose this mm -hmm. unless they have two or three males with them. Yeah. You know, very rarely do you see a gang member, the head of a gang and he's got like five women yeah. and it's just him. Correct. Why does he have men with him? Men represent strength. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I know we're in an age of all this gender yeah. identity and gender fluidity and all this. Um, but it, it's real, you know, it's very real. Um, I don't let any of our ladies here, that are single moms, grandmothers, uh, even young ladies. I don't allow um, our ladies to walk to their vehicles alone. Number number one, I made sure we have lights all over the property that are very, very, very bright. So there's no dark areas in the property. It's very well lit. But I always have multiple men um, walk with them and the children to the vehicles and help them carry their stuff and get into the vehicle so they feel safe. Um, because again, most people, if they're going to attack, it's going to be an attack of a woman mm -hmm. you know, most men are cowards. Mm -hmm. They really are. Men that do that are cowards. Uh, to me, they're not real men. Mm -hmm. They're boys that haven't grown up yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like these men that don't have a job They're living with mama, they're 35. You're not a man. Correct. You know, and I've heard them say, well, I can produce children. I said, that's fine, but that don't make you a man. You yeah. know, you got to have a 
you're going to have a job, have your own place. <laughs> Take you care know, of yourself. Do something with your life, you know. Uh, if mama's still washing all your clothes, you're not a man. <laughs> you're not a man. <laughs> so anyway, we'll get we'll move on beyond that. That's a very touchy subject. I probably just offended 35,000 people, <laughs> you know. If we had 35,000 people listening to this podcast, that would be great. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I, the whole new thing is, well, I identify as a, as a kitty cat. Um, they call them furries. And uh, so I told the church, well, if that principle is true, today I identify as a multi-billionaire. Yeah. And I checked my account. It wasn't there. So just because I said it doesn't mean it's real. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can call yourself a kitty cat, but you're not. You're not a kitty cat at all. And I've seen a meow and all this, and it's just, it's a mess. It's the devil is laughing at, at oh, yeah. God's creation. You know, it's just to get back at God. That's all that is. Mm-hmm. It's just the devil making fun of of the Lord. So, anyway, but I, that, that's where men, they're very valuable, and the enemy goes after men, and it makes them feel emasculated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that they're not, they're not valued. So they... Church is a deal for them. They have to submit. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. I feel like men struggle with submission more than women do. Yeah. It's been my experience, my 25 plus years of, of preaching full time, full time ministry. It has been my observation. Men struggle with submission more than women do. Mm-hmm. We're hard on our women about that, but it's the men we should be preaching to. Mm-hmm. They want their women to be submitted, but they don't want to be submitted. But they don't want to, yep. Yeah. So that's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. Because I have heard uh, Bishop say this, which is very true. Real authority has to be delegated. Mm-hmm. It's not real authority unless it's, it's delegated from someone higher to give it to it's you. True. It's really true. So how can you exercise spiritual authority in your home if you don't have a if you're not spiritual authority over you delegating it? Well, the centurion told Jesus, I'm a man under authority. Therefore, I have authority. And I say one, go, and he comes. And I tell another one to come, and he comes. Mm -hmm. So he understood it. And Jesus said, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. So a Roman understood the kingdom of God better than the people of God. Yeah. Because of authority. Because of authority. And he equated authority to faith. Mm -hmm. Billy Cole used to teach that. He said, you want to operate in great faith? Be submitted to authority. Mm. Yeah. Because he said, because I'm under authority, all you have to do is speak the word. You don't have to come under my roof. My servant will be healed if you speak because you're under authority. Yeah. I see that you are under authority. He recognized it. And if I remember this right, correct me if I'm wrong, but one account makes it seem like the actual satirian came. Mm-hmm. Another account actually says he sent his servant. Yeah. So the scriptures actually equates that servant as the satirian you're right because of submission to authority you are absolutely right it was as if he was there on his behalf as an ambassador yeah it's exactly right and that's what authority and submission does is yes sir it carries that authority is probably the most misunderstood thing in the church Mm -hmm. because it has been abused yeah by people that should have never had it or people that lost their way but authority is probably the most misunderstood and it's one of the most important aspects of the church. Mm-hmm. Because if she doesn't know that she has it, she can't exercise it. Now, I just told the church Sunday, I said, what good is a five-star general with dementia? Yeah. 
He's over the entire armed forces, and they're waiting on his command, but he doesn't know who he is because he forgot. Mm -hmm. He's got the suit. He's got the stars. He's got all the stripes. He's got everything. They're all saluting him, but they don't know why they're saluting him because mm-hmm. he doesn't know who he is. Has all of this authority, nuclear codes and everything, and can't use any of it because he doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes our churches can have spiritual dementia. Mm-hmm. They forget who they are. So they don't exercise that authority. And the enemy comes in. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's a long conversation. Yeah, the church is powerful. Word. The church truly is, is powerful. Very powerful. And again, that goes back to she's feminine. Yeah. And she's got she's got authority because she submitted to the, to the bridegroom. Yeah. And uh, because he's got all authority in heaven and earth and all power, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're submitted to him, we have what he has. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about marriage. The moment... Uh, the woman gets married to that man, everything he owns is hers. Mm -hmm. And that's why you don't take on her name. She takes on your name. Yeah. Because covenant was always made in the name of the greater party, but not greater in estimation, greater in authority. Mm -hmm. That goes all the way back to Abram. Yeah. And God said, I'm going to take a letter out of my name, which was the Tetragrammaton, and took a letter out of his name and put an H there and said, Abraham. And then Sarai, he did it for her as well. Sarah, he put an H there. He added the H from the Tetragrammaton is what we call it, but it's that W-H-Y-H, depending on how you read that. But also it goes on beyond that because the name of God in Hebrew would be Joshua or Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And so there's an H in there. And he took a letter out of his name and he said, I'm giving you my name, boy. Hmm. So you're, take, you're the bride. I'm not taking on your name. You take on mine. So when we get baptized in Jesus' name, what are we doing? Taking on We his take name. on his name. So mm-hmm. we're the bride of Christ. So I'm Jonathan, Harry, Haygood, Jesus. Yeah. So because my last name is Jesus and not Haygood, I have access to everything that God has mm-hmm. because I'm in the bride. I'm not just a friend. I'm not even just a son. Son comes by inheritance. A wife doesn't get to inherit anything. She owns it all she owns it. in yeah. real time. Yeah. She doesn't have to wait for him to die because her name's on the credit card. Yeah. Her name is on the joint account. Yeah. And she can go and Spend swipe that, that credit however card. However she feels. And they view her as if it's him. Yeah. Because they have the same last name. Yeah. And she's his wife. And so if he decides to leave her, she gets half, depending on which state you live on. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a whole nother. Again, a whole other conversation. So that's where the church has to understand she's the bride. She has access to everything that God has, all of his resources. That's angels included, miracles, signs, wonders, power of God, authority of God, the love of God, everything. It's all in him. Mm-hmm. And so that goes back to what I said before. Um, I think we got on the podcast. You know, a lot of people, or I think you said it on the podcast, a lot of people like Jesus. They're not in love with him. Mm-hmm. He's their boyfriend. Yeah. Which is why they can come to church on Sunday, but they go find other lovers Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Adultery. I said, but they yeah. don't view it as adultery because they're not married. Yeah. They just like him. That's yeah. my boyfriend. So he's my boyfriend on Sunday. <laughs> so I'll look cute. I'll be at the club on Saturday and up at the church on Sunday. 
So I'm going to be with my other lover on Saturday night, but then I'll come back to Jesus. He's pure. He's wholesome. He takes good care of me. I'll hold his hand at church. Mm-hmm. He's my boyfriend. But when that's your husband, you know, when you go home, it's just the one. Yeah. So then if you step out, it it is adultery. Mm-hmm. And then he has the right to put you away. But he usually don't. Yeah. One thing God, people don't know about the Lord. It took me a while to figure this out. I started preaching it uh, whenever the Lord showed this to me. He, he told me in prayer one day, he said, you know I'm really a sweetheart. I'm not up here with a ball bat, ready to destroy you every time you make a mistake. He said, I, I'm kind of a sweetheart. You need to kind of figure that out. And the more I got in tune with him and spent more time with him, I realized, man, he really is a sweetheart. He's not tough at all. Mm-hmm. He's only tough on sin that you don't repent over. Mm-hmm. You know, Brother Ewing used to teach us, you know, repentance is your best friend. You know, no one's perfect. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. But repentance is your best friend. And that's all Jesus is waiting on. True repentance. Now, one, you know, the Bible talks about godly sorrow yeah. that worketh repentance, the Apostle Paul said. So it's not just, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's godly sorrow there. Like I, I, It's not that you broke the commandments of God. It's that you broke the heart of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the difference. That's a relationship thing, though. Yeah. You know, um, people would probably... No, there's no probably to it. They would sin less if they realized the effect it had on God's heart more than just, well, I broke a law. Mm-hmm. It's not about, well... Is this a heaven or hell issue? Did did it grieve God? Mm-hmm. Did I break His heart? That's what needs to be the focus. Yeah. Not can I do this and go to heaven? What Correct. can I get away with and go to heaven? That's wrong. You're living for God wrong. You've yeah. missed the whole point. And that's all about rules and regulations. And you're actually a Pharisee, mm-hmm. although you're complaining that everybody else around you is a Pharisee that believes in those laws. But you're the actual Pharisee. Usually when somebody says, well, that church is Pharisaical, they're the ones that are Pharisaical mm-hmm. because their whole relationship with God is based on laws. Yeah, not relationship. And not relationship with him. So when you fall in love with him, you don't do these things because you love him. How will it make him feel? Yeah. I'm not going to wear this because he doesn't like it. Yeah. Not because I'm going to hell. Correct. He doesn't like he don't it. like it. I'm not going to say this particular thing because he doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm going to hell. Yeah. I'm not going to go drinking and smoking or whatever, whatever it is, whatever the sin is. We always go to drinking and smoking. There's so many, you know, there's backbiting, there's gossiping, there's all kinds of things that can get you in more trouble than drinking. I've told people before, you'd be better to go be a drunk than to go against spiritual authority. Mm-hmm. It'd actually be better for you in the long run. Just do that. <laughs> go get drunk before you come against God's authority. That's yeah. going to get you in more trouble than getting drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll wear off in 12 hours. This other don't come off. Mm-hmm. That takes a little while to come off. So I, I've heard uh, Brother Shelton say it about sins of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a lot different. easier to deal with sins of the flesh than it is sins of the spirit. He's right. He's absolutely right. Brother J.T. Pugh made the comment. He said, you can you can go against or speak against, go against God's power and recover quickly. But going against his authority, sometimes you never recover. Mm-hmm. And he said, they are not the same. 
No. Power is not the same authority. It's mm-hmm. not the same. So all of that matters. You, you can have all the power, mm-hmm. but if you don't have the authority to exercise it. You're just a very powerful individual and the car's not going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. It's like having a Lamborghini, but the car's in park. Yeah. But you're revving that engine mm-hmm. and everybody around you says, man, that's a very powerful man, but you've not done anything. Yeah. You've not gone anywhere. Can't put it in drive. There's no miles on the car. It's brand new. Mm-hmm. It's never come out of the parking lot. So that's the church. Yeah. All this power in the park. And God's just trying to get us in drive. Mm-hmm. That's what he's after. Just put it in drive. It's easy. Put your foot on the brake. You have to stop showing off. Put your foot <laughs> on the brake. Put it in, in drive. Now hit the accelerator. You're going to go somewhere. Yeah. So anyway. Hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Any other questions you're feeling? No, sir. I thank you. Yes, sir. I really thank you for your time. Oh, it's an honor. It's an yeah. honor to be on here. Thank you for allowing me to be on here. It's a privilege. I appreciate that. And, uh, yes, sir, anytime, anytime you desire to be on here again, you let me know. Yes, sir. Well, if <laughs> I love to have you, if I don't get fired after this, if you want me to come back, I'd, I'd be honored to come back on and do it again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I am definitely glad that, um, I had the opportunity to actually be in Louisiana, sit down with you live yes, sir. And, and do it live in person. So, um, again, I know you took a lot of time out to do so. And um, I really do appreciate it. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing. Appreciate who you are in the kingdom. And um, amen. God bless you, my brother. Bless you, sir. Thank you again for allowing me to be on here. Yes, sir. And I count it an honor. Thank you. Sir, thank you.